As you're standing, please take your Bible and turn to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. I am so grateful for the good music, and I mean you, church. You are the choir, and uh, you've been lifting your voices in praise to God. Uh, The music that we do is not just preparatory to hear a message. The music stands alone as your expression of what you are thinking in your heart about God and then expressing that back to Him. We continue now a study in 1 Timothy. We're in chapter 6. And reading along, we're going to do verses 6 through 10 today, do our best to finish it. It's a continuation of the message from last week, and last week was a continuation of the week before that. So let's read this, pray, and then jump into the Word of God and see what it has for us. Paul says, there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving, this desire, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Father, we are grateful that we can sing the words of the song that we just finished, written by a man who had who had experienced unbelievable loss. And the reason we can sing those, those of us who know you, is because we have that firm foundation so that no matter what happens to us, we can say that at the end of the day and ultimately it is well with our souls. And so we are grateful now that we can study your word. Thank you that Your Word gives us everything that we need for life and godliness. It doesn't come through man's wisdom or man's skill. We simply want to open your book, discern what you have to say, not just to a church that lived 2,000 years ago, but to a church that exists today, Heritage Baptist Church, and to us individually as followers in Christ. And I pray for those who are not followers of Christ yet, that today would be the day that the gospel would be revealed clearly, that we would see that our sin is great, but our Savior is greater. And Lord, that we would believe and follow. So thank you for that. Help us to learn now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Someone asked me, what is your church all about? And I was asked that not too too long ago. I would say, go to our motto, that we are a people who desire 
God and we want to declare His glory from our neighborhoods to the nations. But I think that captured also with that question is what Paul has been talking about now, last week and then leading on into today, that our goal, that my goal for you, for me, for my family, for my children, for my grandchildren, those of us who know the Lord, is that we might pursue, we might train ourselves for godliness because there's great gain in every way. It holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Now, let me differentiate something for you. And I think we confuse this a lot in our churches. About a week and a half ago, I don't even really remember what I had done. But because of that act, Jan turned to me and said, you are a good man. I'm not sure she even remembers what I did. Now, I hear things like that and my mind races. I'm sure yours does too. My first thought was, you bet I am. But then I began to think, now that, that's pretty subjective. Really translated, what that means is that I had done something that was in her parameters of what I should have done, so therefore, because I lived up to her level of expectation, I was a good man. I was hopeful that she would not walk out and see my workbench because her, her assessment of me might change drastically. I'm not saying that she would say I was a bad man, but just you need to clean your workbench. And then I started thinking, you know, doesn't, doesn't every mother... It just goes, it goes without saying. Every mother who has a son in prison, no matter what they've done, and you talk to that, you've had that happen. No matter what he has done, what do they always say? At heart, you know what? He's really a good boy. And so again, I go back to asking the question, by what standards? And obviously, since I was working on a, a kind of a duet of, of messages from this passage of Scripture, the first that I preached last week, I thought, this fits with what I want to try to say to us. Our goal here at Heritage is not just to have people who do good things. Obviously, good things are good but they may not be godly when you evaluate by the true standards of the Word of God. For example, we are going, some of us, hopefully a good part of us, are going to brave the heat. I, I, I'm hoping for a cool down and, and maybe lower humidity, ha-ha, and uh, a cloud cover tonight at 6 o'clock, and we will go to Will Rogers, and guess what? We will do good things. I ask our ABF class this this morning, what will separate that from just being a good thing into being a godly thing? What did Jesus say about giving a cup of cold water? Giving a cup of cold water, giving pencils and erasers and, and backpacks and books, those are good things. What makes the difference between good and godly? 
when it is done in the name of Jesus. And so I hope that something clicks, and as we walk through this, we're going to see that our goal, that your goal for yourself, your goal for your marriage, your relationship, or, or, or if you're not married yet, your closest relationships, your goal for your children, for your grandchildren, for the extended circle of relationships, for your church is not just goodness, but godliness, now hang on, what did we say last week? With what? With contentment. Because you cannot have godliness without contentment, and you will not have contentment, contentment without godliness. Now, we're going we're to talk about this a little bit more, but please understand that contentment is not a passive kind of thing. So let's go back. Let's review just for a few moments Uh, some of the things that we said last week. Here is a picture of godliness. Do do some of you who were here remember that awful, gross tennis shoe that I had on that some of you were were wondering, what is that all about? I had it on one of my feet, and so I came to a particular part of the message, and I was trying to, to, to define for you what Paul says, what we define in the Bible is the difference between holiness and godliness. We need both. Before we get to godliness, we've got to have holiness. Holiness is when we separate, when we take off the old nature that still just kind of hangs on, even though you and I might be believers in Jesus Christ. Okay? So that's what we want to do. This is the definition of holiness. But we, let's say we do that. Like I said last week, I took the tennis shoe off, threw it down to Jackson, who was sitting in the front row, and I said, okay, am I godly now? No. The answer is no, because if I've stopped sinning, I'm only halfway. Are you with me? A rock is sinless, but a rock is not godly. A frog is sinless, but a frog can't be godly. Do you get what I'm saying? So it's only halfway. So let's look at some of the things that we talked about last week. Now, here's what I've done. This is a lot, but I've just kind of compacted this because we are talking about the desire for riches being something that is absolutely against the nature of a Christian. It It doesn't go with who we are as believers, but it is also deadly. But I want to expand that because I believe that is something that grows out of, this is an application of what Paul is saying right here, this desire, watch this, and the desire for riches is sin. The desire for riches is an evil desire, but there are other evil desires, because maybe you don't struggle with the specific desire for riches. But every one of us struggles with that remnant of the old nature, even though we have been born again, even though we love Jesus, we treasure Jesus more than anything. And so let's look at some of the things that Paul says we are to put off, we are to take off. And here they are, the works of the flesh. Now, by the way, this is comprehensive, but it's not exhaustive. 
All right, there are other things included, but this is a good starting place, I would say, for most of us here. The works of the flesh, flesh, unrighteousness, ungodliness are evident. Here we go, roll call. Sexual immorality. Now, it's interesting that adultery comes next, and all of the ones generally in these lists. There are about three main lists, and then there are a lot of other things, places where we can go. But almost without fail, the lists start with sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is a different word than adultery. Sexual immorality includes adultery, but is not limited to. In fact, in Matthew, when Jesus is talking about divorce, the only exclusion right there that he gives, he says, if you divorce your spouse, your wife, except for, and a lot of translations will say adultery, it doesn't say that, it says sexual immorality. This is a, this is a deep, inclusive kind of thing, okay? Adultery, impurity, these are all attitudes that all add up to this sensuality, homosexuality, all of these have to do with a violation of what God has created for a man and woman to have together in a relationship that is put together by God, okay? So, you may not have a problem with the desire for riches, but what about that first part of the list? Then he goes into idolatry. Now, he's beginning to meddle in what we're talking about here because covetousness, and we'll see this in a minute in one of the quotes, uh, covetousness is idolatry. Sorcery, well, we know that that has to do with illicit means of, 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 of drugs, addictions, things like that. I, I was thinking about the expansive nature of that. I, I, I don't know, just, just take this from my thinking, but I think that a modern-day manifestation of sorcery could be the plague of social media and electronic devices. Did you hear about the riot in New York? Riot, mob, people are now wanting to nuance it. It, it was a riot. What was it over? The promise of free stuff. Well, maybe. But I was most struck with what the mayor of New York said after that. I wrote it down because I just heard it last night. Here, here, here is what he said. Boy, this is a word to us. Children, this is a quote from the mayor of New York City. Children can't get their values and beliefs from social media. I'm sitting there, and we're listening to that, and I say, well, amen to that. Well, then where are they going to get their values and beliefs? From parents who are on social media? Now, I'm not condemning the, 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 the baby with the bathwater. I am just saying that, that I think the mayor of New York City said, look, you're looking in the wrong place to get your values, but he never told us where to look to get the values to teach our kids. Where might that be? Christian, the Word of God. 
energized by the Spirit of God. And so you, you go on through this, enmity, strife, these are, the, these are the emotions that cause this dissension, greed, fits of anger, outbursts of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envies, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. We're going to come back to this next statement, but here's what I want you to see, the incompatibility of this lifestyle of refusal to put off the old It's not just incompatible with Christianity because it's inconvenient. It's incompatible because it will lead to your ultimate eternal death. I warn you, as I warned you before, is this just a crotchety old apostle? Say No, this is a guy who loves the church enough to say, Godliness with contentment is important for your eternal, eternal soul, and to get to godliness, you've got to get to holiness first. I, I'm, I'm warning you, as I warned you before, because I love you, don't be deceived, because there are plenty of deceivers out there that will tell you otherwise, these will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, Paul in this passage gives two practical reasons why. And again, we'll come back and talk about these. One's from nature. We we come into the world with nothing, right? We leave the world with nothing. That's one thing that he does. But the other thing is, is coming back to the statement I just made, that there will always be great harm and even the forfeiting of eternal life in the pursuit of riches. I'm trying to say exactly what he says. Now, that should be enough motivation for us not to pursue riches because it is an evil desire. It is a sin. Again, it is incompatible with being a true child of God. So we take off all all of those things, evil desires. But then we put on. Now, by the way, I went through that list, and everybody was sitting. I, I don't know. Did I, did I hit your particular area with which you struggle? I, I, not me. I mean, did Paul? Or was that just an exercise in preaching a sermon? You put it out. No, it as we went through that, I've been praying, and, and I believe that the Holy Spirit, if you're, if you're spiritually sensitive, He's going to go bang, and He's going to hit the button right in there. And here's the old saying, redone. If any one of those got you, if the shoe fits, what? You're right. Mitch, I don't know how long ago I said that in a sermon, but you remembered The saying is, if the shoe fits, wear it. Well, in a sense, yes, own it. But according to what God is saying in in pursuing holiness, if the shoe fits, take it off, but don't stand there barefoot. Put on the other side of that, godliness. We're not pursuing good. We're pursuing godliness. 
By the way, you know what? If, if, if we get, and it's a daily thing, and it's back and forth, and I deal, I deal with so many of those things on there. Last week, I confessed my sin as Jan and I were playing the game of getting angry over me not getting the right cards, and surely I'm more mature than that. All of us are, grow, all of us are growing in the area of godliness, but we are, we are pursuing, right? Are you pursuing godliness? And guess what? Out of godliness, guess what you get? Goodness. Now, the world may not like it, but God likes it. And those who are around you, who are followers of Christ, they will like it a lot as well. So, put on the new self. Ah. The new self, we are new creations in Christ. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And that is what godliness is all about. And if you need some help with that, if you want to go to the negation of all of those other things that we mentioned, just put on the fruit of the Spirit. Isn't that a good place to start? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. There's no law in those kinds of things. That is the fruit of the Spirit that is produced by the Spirit of God taking the Word of God and making us daily more satisfied with Jesus. And because of that, we will purposefully be conformed more into His image. Now, here's one of the most important things that I, that, that I think I could say to you. Let, let's get this first. Uh, th- this is also very important, but I want to get on to another one. Such were some of you. That's the old. That's wearing the old tennis shoe. The old. Such were some of you. Now, look at what Paul says. It is a natural progression. If you're not growing in godliness, if you're not pursuing godliness, perhaps you're not growing in holiness, the taking off, so you can put on. Paul says, this is your new identity, and this is who you need to live like. You were washed. You were sanctified. This is gospel reality. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And this is objective reality. Now, here's the thing that I was going to say. And I, I hear this a lot. I'll give an illustration that I just read this last week. I have talked with people who have said, and they deal with a particular area. They've said, Pastor, I have asked the Lord over and over. I have prayed for Him to remove that particular sinful desire. And he hasn't done it. And many times, the upshot of that, because those people are not grounded well in the Word, they listen to other people and what they are saying, false teachers who will take unstable people and they will pull them away. And guess what they say? Well, since I prayed about it, and God didn't remove that evil desire, then it must be okay. 
And there are people in churches that are justifying sinful lifestyles because they believe God didn't answer their prayer and take it away. Remember the name Ray Bowles? Anybody? Thank you for giving. You know, he wrote some music that I don't, I don't even know how to call it. Was it Christian music or was it music written that talked about God? I, yeah. But he's one of those that said that. You, you can read his testimony. Back in about 2008, He decided after being married and having four kids, I'm through with it because I have this desire. Now, what's interesting is this. He recognized it as an evil desire. It could be any one of those. But he said, I prayed that the Lord would take it away, and he didn't. So it's okay for me to leave my family and to live in a homosexual relationship with another man, and to continue as a child of God because God didn't remove it. I have never found one place in the Bible where it says that God, according to your prayer, will remove a sinful desire from you. I have found many places like this in Colossians chapter 3, put to death. Pluck out and cut off. Take off and put on. Put to death what is earthly or ungodly. And then Paul in Colossians mentions several of those those earthly desires, what tops the list? Well, you could guess it, and put on the new self. But he doesn't just say, put it off. He says, kill it. John Owen famously said, you be killing sin or sin will be killing you. The second reason is very practical, temporal. Okay, look at it. We just, set, we just went through now. There is great gain and godliness with contentment, and we're going to continue that thought. Verse 7 and 8, look at that again. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, actually that more, more accurately is we have clothing to, to cover us, and we have covering like a tent or a house for protection. That, that's essentially what he is saying that if you have that, with that you will be content. Wow. So, so what he is saying to us is that the person who is pursuing godliness, the born-again person who learns, and again, it is a lifelong process, to be godly and content will go through life with a satisfaction that God gives us that cannot be taken away. When the Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain, value in every way, it holds promise for this life and also for the life to come. Watch this. 
The truly content person is never worried. Okay, did you get that? The truly content person is never worried. He doesn't need a thing. His attitude is like Paul's in Philippians chapter 4. I have learned in whatever situation I'm in, in a a Roman prison with the clothes on my back, I don't even know where my next meal is coming from. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. He knew how to eat in fancy places. In every and any circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul was never worried because he had that sense of satisfaction in Jesus Christ. Now, I will say this. Go back to a statement that I made just a few moments ago. Contentment does not mean complacency. Okay? And there are several areas that I I, I must never be content in. One is my personal pursuit of godliness. No matter what I feel that I've achieved, that I am not content, I will continue toward that goal for the upward prize that Paul talks about. So we must be discontent about that. And I believe that there is a certain way in which we are, uh, how do I say this? We have a sacred discontent with the evil that we see in the world. But even then, we know that someday that's going to be remedied. It may not be until the life to come, but someday that will be taken care of. And so I will pursue godliness. Here's what it does mean. Content in the person that God has made me, striving toward the excellence that I know God is pleased with. The area of athletics, that, that ought to be an illustration. You, I, I, I know because I, I tried to be an athlete when I was in school. Tried to be. And I thought, Lord, if you would just let me grow about, I don't know, six more inches. Bulk up a little bit, you know. No, I had to be content in who I was but strive toward that. Listen, if you want to be a good athlete, whether you're 5'10 or you're 6'7, you take what you've got, you give it to God, and you strive for excellence with what God has given you. And there's the, the contentment without a sense of complacency. God, don't get into this stuff that you can be passive and please God. And so that is one of the things that we need to realize. That, that, that applies to your personal life. That applies to your marriage. Husbands and wives, please hear me. That applies to your children, to your grandchildren. Are you getting the idea? To your church, to your work. And so Paul puts this incredible example. All right? Two events. Everybody's had the first one. Has everybody here been born? Yep. In one way or the other. 
What did you come into the world worrying about? Nada. You, you came into the world without clothing. Did you come into the world worried about the kind of car you would drive? No. And, and he's, he's using an analogy. By the way, on your deathbed, will it really, for a Christian now, maybe for someone else, I heard of a guy several years ago that was buried in his Corvette. Okay, that's not pursuing godliness, I, I don't think. But you get to the end, are you really going to be worried about the kind of cars that you drove? So why are you worried right now? Doesn't God always provide? Does He? How do you know? Because He says He will. Don't be anxious about your life, about what's going on right now. Now, there, there are plenty of things to be concerned appropriately about, but, but not anxiety. Don't be concerned about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, your body, et cetera, et cetera, what you're going to drive, all of the rest of those kinds of things. And here's an analogy that Jesus gives. Look, you're more valuable than a bird. It's a wonder, the song says, that we can confess our worth and our unworthiness at the same time. Philippians 4.19, here's another promise. My God shall supply all of your, what? Needs. Doesn't mean all of your wants and whatever it is. But my God shall supply all of your needs. Here's one of my all-time favorites that I appreciate the older I get. I, and this is true of me, I have been young. Okay? I was there. Now I am old. I am there. But... Here's the reality, I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. I'll tell you, I, there was a time when a little bit of anxiety. You know, we, we drive late model cars now. One of the things, I, I don't think a lot about it like I used to with other cars that we drove for many, many years. Not really concerned about breaking down regular maintenance and all the rest. But I'm telling you now, how many of you have ever uh, owned a, a Rolls? Okay? Neither have I. But I'll bet you that you have owned what I have, maybe, a Rolls Canardly. Okay, you can feel a joke coming on. Get, this is a bad dad joke, forgive me. We, I'm telling you, our kids can verify that most of our cars, they're growing up years. Remember the AMC Hornet, we'd throw you, station wagon, we'd throw you in the back. Not the modern day Hornet, like the Transformer Hornet. This is the old one, or, or the, the, the puke green Oldsmobile with the spring sticking out. You remember that? And our kids would say, would you drop us off a couple of blocks away from school? And so I affectionately re refer to the cars that we used to own as, well, I own a Rolls-Canardly. Rolls down one hill, 
can hardly make it up another. And when I am on my deathbed, just like when I came into the world, I know that He has provided, and even at the moment of death, I won't be thinking about whatever it is that we're driving or the home that we're living in or whatever else, but I know, listen to this, we've been talking about gain. How is death gain to a Christian? Paul answers it. For to me, to live is Christ, the pursuit of godliness, and to die is gain. Isn't that what he was ta- The very word that he uses in chapter 6, verse 6, will he ever leave you or forsake you? And we have that promise made sure as well. Keep your life, look at this, free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Even at the moment of your greatest need, he never will. Stop. Just say this. The only thing, look, you're sitting right there right now. The only thing you have at this moment is your soul. Everything else is on loan. Your soul is eternal. And you sitting right there need to understand that it is only those who have been born again by the Spirit of God through the Word of God, not those who maybe walked down an aisle or been baptized or joined a church, had your ticket punched to get you into heaven, but you've never really been born again and become a new creation in Christ. One of the ways you know that is you're not taking off the old, putting on the new. Today could be such a dramatic come to Jesus meeting for you as you sit there. If you realize your soul is eternal and you decide, I do not want to pursue evil desires, but the godliness with contentment that reveals who I am in Christ. Let's read these last two verses and finish up. But those, and I'm going to add some to you as I read this, verse 9, but those, are you one of those? Who desire to be rich or any of the evil desires that we spoke about earlier. Here's what happens. You fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmless desires that plunge, it's like a ship sinking, people into ruin. And that word means painful destruction right now. And destruction, that's what the ESV, but if you're using the King James, it's another word that is far more accurate. The ESV, I'm sad to say, kind of softens the reality of what Paul is saying. So those who desire to get rich or any of those other things unchecked are plunged into temporal destruction and eternal, here's the word again, King James Version, perdition, which means eternal misery apart from the presence of God. 
And then he says, for money is the root of all kinds of evil, right? Okay, wake up. I just misquoted this. Did Paul say money is the root of all kinds of evil? It has nothing to do with money. Money is not going to cause your downfall. There, were, there is not one place in Scripture where being rich or having money is condemned. There were plenty of rich people in the Scriptures that were godly people. What is it that is condemned that we need to take care of? The putting off and the putting on. It is the desire. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So here's the bottom line. Parents, grandparents, whether or not you're able to leave your kids or grandkids worldly wealth, make sure you do your best to leave them with gospel wisdom. The supreme goal of believers is not to amass wealth, but to love and glorify God. And there are plenty of examples in the Bible of those who ran after it. Achan, who lost his, himself and his family. Gehazi, the rich man. Judas, Ananias and Sapphira, Demas, all of these people. For one thing, they refused to pursue godliness to put off the old and to have the real treasure who is Jesus Christ. I love one of the songs that we sang just a few minutes ago. I think we're going to sing it again. How rich a treasure we possess. I was looking at the words to that this morning and thinking about how that we can pursue other things they lead to, to destruction and even perdition. And just listen to the words. We'll, we'll be singing these in just a few moments, but how rich a treasure we possess in Jesus Christ our Lord, His blood, our ransom and defense, His glory, our reward. The sum of all created things is worthless in compare, for our inheritance is Him whose praise angels declare. Would you bow your heads? A minute ago, I asked you to consider the fact that you're sitting there right now. You're, you, the only thing you have is your soul, which is eternal. It doesn't matter what false prophets say or anybody else says. You're on one of two roads today, either a broad road that will lead to perdition, that's the word Jesus used, or the narrow road that you have entered by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel says that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried, He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. God has granted you repentance and faith and you believed in Jesus, you are on that narrow road, putting off 
and putting on. But if not, you're on that broad road. will ultimately lead to destruction. The Bible says today if you hear His voice is the day of salvation. And so I pray and others are praying in this room. Don't walk out of this place without knowing that you have submitted your life in repentance and faith to the Lord Jesus Christ in His finished work on the cross. Father, I thank You for the wonder of the reality of the gospel. I thank You for how You teach us to live it out. And it's not always a pleasant thing. In fact, most of us who know You and who are pursuing that godliness with contentment will say it is a daily warfare. But help us to walk in that. Give us the strength which you have given through your word and through your spirit for all of life and for godliness. And I pray that if if there is any here who needs to repent and believe in Jesus, that today would be that day. Oh God, grant that their eyes would be open, their hearts would be fertile soil, they would receive the word implanted and be born again. And now help us as we respond and as we go out to live out this reality in the world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.